0: How many of you can remember back in the day when they had silent films back in the day they had a projector that would project the film but there was no sound you might have a little music playing in the background and you had to watch the film and you could see the people moving in the screen but you couldn't hear what they were saying and you had to get the story from basically this silent action well we kind of have it now again sometimes you you ever scrolling through Facebook on your phone and, and they have little videos that play right there, but there's no sound, and so you're scrolling by and you can see the, the videos moving, and you ever go through there and you're, you're kind of just looking through, and you see one and it's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. I don't know what in the world they're doing. And if it, get, if it gets you confused enough, you've got to click on the little button and turn the sound on so you can watch the thing again and see, what's, see what they're actually doing because it gets you so curious as to what in the world this is. You had to turn the sound on and hear what they're saying. And then it's a commercial for Geico or something like that. I'll ask you another question. How many of you have read the Bible all the way through, from Genesis to Revelation? Let's see your hands. Okay, it's a lot of you. How many of you have started reading the Bible through? I'm not saying you've never read it through, but you've started reading it through at some point, and then at some point, you've kind of got bogged down. I'll raise my hand. I don't know about you, but the, I usually get through Genesis and it's, I mean, it's fabulous. Exodus, and, okay? And then I get to the third book called Leviticus. And that's about where I start to get bogged down. You, you ever get kind of get bogged down in Leviticus? I know I have. It's not for the faint of heart. The book of Leviticus is actually very fascinating. If you can get past, shall we say, the silent action. What I mean by that is you start off in Leviticus and it's a whole lot of laws. Laws about sacrifices, laws about the temple, laws about the ceremonies, laws about the feasts. And every, it seems like everything that happens, there's a sacrifice. They take an animal and they kill it. They bring it to the temple, they kill it, they take the blood and they do this with it. And it's like, ooh, I mean, if you think about it too much, I mean, ooh, right? You kind of have this revulsion. Yeah, I think that God instructed Israel to do that for a reason. But we'll get into that in a minute. But there's, there's kind of this revulsion. And so we're like, what's going on? And why all of this strange acting? almost like a silent movie and what does it all mean and so we get to a point where we're reading all these silent actions and if we if we have no idea what it means then we kind of get bogged down and we get confused and it's like this is this is just way out there right but i want us to dig into one of these silent action films if if you will And then let's dig into it and see if we can understand the meaning behind it. Leviticus 16 is probably one of the the most solemn, if not the most solemn occasion in the entire calendar, in the entire yearly festivals of the Jewish system of worship. The whole chapter starts out as a result of a very sad occasion. Aaron was the high priest, the brother of Moses. Aaron the high priest... Had two sons. These two sons had gone into the sanctuary. They'd taken strange fire into the sanctuary. And because of their irreverence, because of their presumption to go before God in a way in which God had not prescribed, they were struck dead. The two sons, the heirs to the priesthood, the priests of the Lord, were struck dead. And now, in Leviticus 16, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord, and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come in at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Now I won't read the entire chapter because if we read the whole chapter we won't have much time for anything else. But I want to just go through and tell you kind of the the story, a brief summary of what would happen on this festival. It would happen on the 10th day of the 7th month in the Jewish calendar. This was in the in the in kind of the middle or the late fall of our calendar, of our seasons. So God says to Aaron, don't go into the holy place of the temple all the time. This is a sacred place. It's a special place. This most holy place especially. Only on this occasion are you to go in to the most holy place. You see, the sanctuary, this ancient tabernacle, very briefly, it's a it was a tent, and there were two compartments in this tent. They would go into the tent to worship God. Only the priest would go in. They would offer a sacrifice on the altar outside the tabernacle. Then they would go in, there would be several pieces of furniture, a, a candlestick, a table of showbread, and then an altar of incense in that first compartment. But then there was a second compartment called the Most Holy Place. It was the most special, most sacred place because in that Most Holy Place was a box. The box was known as the Ark of the Covenant. And in this box was a copy of the Ten Commandments. On top of this box the covering of this box was called the Mercy Seat. And it was, in figure, the throne of God. The Shekinah glory, the Spirit of God, would come down and fill this room, the Most Holy Place, and would hover right over that, what was called the Mercy Seat, in the Most Holy Place. And so only once a year, only on this one special occasion, was the high priest to go in, into that second veil, into that Most Holy Place, before the presence of God. And this is, this is how it would happen. They would bring a bull for a sin offering and a ram. They would offer the, the bull as a sin offering. The priest would put on special garments. Now the high priest, the high priest would wear a very colorful uh, robe. He would have the, the um, stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel on his, on his chest that's what he would wear normally when he was normally officiating in the temple. But on this special day, he would take off that, that high priestly robe and put on plain linen garments when he would go in before the King of the Universe. He would wash himself with water. Then he would go into the sanctuary, go into, into, up to the altar, and he would bring with him two goats. He would cast lots between the two goats. Is this sounding strange? Sounds a little strange, right? So he'd take two goats. It's kind of like this silent film. What's going on here, okay? So he takes the two goats, one goat. It would cast lots and decide. One goat would be known as the Lord's goat. And the other goat known as, the, the Hebrew word is Azazel. It's a strange word. It's translated in our Bibles as the scapegoat. The The goat of removal might be a a more apt apt way of putting it, but there's the the Lord's goat and the scapegoat, okay? Then the priest would offer the sacrifices, and he would offer first the bull as a sacrifice. And he would take the blood of this bull and go inside the sanctuary, go all the way in to the most holy place and sprinkle it before the Ark of the Covenant. Now, just to give you an idea how solemn an occasion this was, uh, according to the Jewish tradition, when the high priest would go into the most holy place, they would tie a cord around his leg, and it would, it would be a long, a, a long string, a long rope, that would stretch all the way outside of the temple. Why would they do that? Because if the priest had sin in his heart, if he was going in irreverently before the Lord, he would be struck dead. No one else could go in to retrieve his body, so they would pull him out with the cord. That's how solemn, that's how sacred this this place was. So they would, he would go in before the Lord with the blood of the of the bull, sprinkle it in. Then they would offer the goat and do the same thing. He would go in with the blood of the goat and sprinkle it in front of the ark. Then on his way out, as he was coming back out, he would sprinkle the blood on the other pieces of furniture in the holy place on his way out. Now I want us to look at this one verse. I said I wasn't going to read, but I'm going to read verse 16. This is right at the place where he's going in before the mercy seat and sprinkling the blood before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And because of their transgressions, for all their sins, so shall he do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So what is the purpose of this? He is making an atonement for the sanctuary. But what is the purpose of this atonement? He's making an atonement for the people. The sins of the people throughout the year, through the daily sacrifices that are being offered, are placed in figure onto the san- in the sanctuary. And now in this one day of atonement, he's making atonement for the sanctuary, which is, again, making atonement for the sins of the people to remove them from the sanctuary and finally eradicate them from the camp of Israel. That's the whole purpose of this. So we're getting a glimpse of the meaning of this silent film, okay? So I'm, I'm just going through very quickly, and then we'll go back through again and, and bring in some verses from the New Testament. So come, he goes in before the mercy seat with the blood of the goat, sprinkles it on the mercy seat, comes back out and sprinkles the blood on each article of furniture on his way out. And if you, if you picture this, it's as if at this point the most holy place becomes clean. Then every step that the priest takes on his way out of the sanctuary, he's carrying with him the sin that has been placed in that sanctuary. He comes all the way back out and then there's one goat left. That is the, the or Azazel. He places his head, his hands on the head of the goat confessing the sin of the people and then takes that goat outside the camp. Not, not the priest, but a, it says a man that's ready for the job, a fit man, takes this this goat outside of the camp and leaves him outside of the camp to wander in the wilderness. Then the, the priest, the man who takes the goat out, everyone who's involved in the service, each one washes their clothes, changes their clothes, takes a bath, and comes back in, comes back into the camp, and the sanctuary is cleansed. Now, what are the people of Israel doing during this time? I mean, this is all happening in the sanctuary, but what are they doing during this time? Well, the Bible is very particular. In the last few verses of Leviticus 16, that they are to humble themselves, to afflict their souls. You you know, we talk about the feasts that happen, the feast of the Passover, the feast of trumpets. Well, this is one of those feasts, but you can't call it a feast. If anything, you call it a fast, because they are literally afflicting their souls, fasting and praying. And it says in Leviticus 23, where we find this again, uh, Leviticus 23 and verse 20. Starting in verse 26, you have the, the whole uh, passage there. That any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. Anyone that refused to participate by fasting and prayer in this solemn occasion will be cut off from the people of Israel. It doesn't say that. I, I looked in this entire chapter in Leviticus about any of the other festivals, there's, no, there's not this same kind of judgment against those who refuse to participate in this occasion. But in this, it's an extremely solemn occasion. They would keep it as a sacred Sabbath. And you find it here in verse 32. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month, at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Friends, do we celebrate Sabbath from evening to evening? to evening. So we have this silent movie, as it were. This acting, this pantomime, they're acting out, but what does it mean? What is the purpose? What is God trying to teach us through this system? Well, friends, I I don't have time to go into every bit of meaning here. We could spend weeks, months, years, studying the meaning of this ceremony, of this celebration, because The things in this celebration, this this, uh, occasion, it's not, not so much a celebration, what's listed here touches every aspect of the gospel. What is pictured here is a picture, friends, of Jesus Christ and of what he has done and is doing and will do in the future, the entire eradication of sin from the universe. You see, friends, Ever since Satan rebelled in heaven, we have been living in a great battle, a great conflict between Christ and Satan, between good and evil, between righteousness and sin. And sin has infected this universe, and most particularly, sin has infected this world. And we, you and I, are caught in the, the bonds of sin. And were it not for Jesus Christ we would have no hope. We would, ere this, have been long destroyed by the sin of our own lives, were it not for Christ. But friends, the message of Leviticus chapter 16 is a message of hope. A message of hope that one day this sin problem can be taken care of. This sin can be eradicated out of the camp in the same way that it was eradicated out of the camp of Israel, of old. I want us to go back through this this chapter, again, very briefly, and look at some promises, look at some correlations in this chapter with the gospel of Christ. The priest would come in with a bowl. He would offer, the very first thing, he would offer a bowl and a a ram. Hebrews chapter 9, and verse 22, states this fact, that without the shedding of blood is no remission. Friends, what did John the Baptist call Jesus, when he came down to the river Jordan, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus, friends, is our sacrifice, and by his shed blood is the forgiveness of our sins. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for you and for me and for me. Then he put then the priest would put on a special linen robe. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse ten, it says, He has covered me with a robe of righteousness, with a garment of salvation. Jesus puts on, Jesus offers to you and to me a garment of salvation. Then the priest would wash with water in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, Jesus Christ saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Friends, do we, as 7th Adventist Christians, do we celebrate the ordinance of baptism as a symbol of what Jesus has done, a death to the old life, and a resurrection, a washing away of sins, and a resurrection, rising to walk in newness of life. Then they would take two goats. This is where it gets interesting. They would cast lots between these two goats, one for the Lord and one for Azazel you know a lot of people have had pro- a problem with this understanding of of what's going on here what does this represent what does this mean the two goats you see that you know even in the jewish culture this this uh, ceremony was known as the day of judgment it was it was recognized that this was a looking forward to of the time when God would judge the world, a decision being made between the righteous and the wicked. And I want to—I want to digress here before we go any further because this is an important point to make. And and I'll just come back. I'll come back to this. We'll do another another message on this topic because there's so much here. I can't, I can't cover all of this right now. But if you go to the Book of Hebrews, Hebrews so many different places, but Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. This makes it relevant, friends. Paul is speaking here, writing to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people. Now this is the main point in the things we are saying. We have a high priest, that is Jesus Christ, who is seated, seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which the lord erected and not man and we have again in chapter 9 verse 24 of hebrews for christ has not entered the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god for us friends the sanctuary that moses built in the wilderness wasn't just a little tent a little a, a little a object lesson it was an object lesson but it was a copy a shadow of the tabernacle the temple that is built in heaven and that ta- that heavenly tabernacle is where christ is ministering right now for you and for me what we see here in leviticus is exactly what Jesus is doing. This is a, this is a shadow. This is a symbol of the, of the thing that Jesus is doing right now for you and for me. We were in Leviticus chapter 16 and looking at these, at these promises, at these passages. So we had the two goats. One for the Lord and one is the scapegoat. Where else in the scripture do we have Casting lots, or a decision being made. One for the Lord, and one for, one for Satan. You know, I think of no other time than the time of Elijah. When Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he says to the priests of Baal, Okay, I want you to choose a bullock. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 25. He has two bullocks, two cows, and says, I want you to choose one, you offer it to Baal. I will take one and offer to the Lord. And we will see, we will see who is the true God. Friends, it's no different in this picture. There is, a, there is a decision that takes place, a distinction made between good and between evil. This is a day of judgment. There's a lot more symbolism here I don't have time to, we don't have time to get into today. But I think this is a very important point. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. You know when you think about the judgment seat of Christ, where is Christ sitting? This is this is a beautiful a beautiful picture. Do you know what they would call the the Day of Atonement, in the Hebrew language, we see it here even today. If you look at a calendar that has Jewish holidays, it's Yom Kippur. Yom is day, and Kippur is means atonement. It's actually a a, a very fascinating word. This word, atonement, it means to appease or to to vindicate, to justify, or to declare righteous. There's a very similar word, which is. I'm probably not saying it right because I don't know Hebrew, but a related word is kaporet, or a place of atonement. Do you know how that is translated in our Bibles? Mercy seat. The mercy seat, the, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, is the covering of atonement. The mercy seat. That is the judgment seat of Christ upon which he sits. You see, friends, so often we think of judgment, we think of coming into the presence of an angry God. That's such an antithetical, to, it's such an opposite of the true character of God. Because when we come before the judgment seat of Christ, we're not coming before someone who is looking for an excuse to throw you into hellfire. You're looking for someone who's looking for every excuse to save you. Because he loves you, and because he gave his life for you. The mercy seat of Christ for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And so he he offers the goat, he he offers the goat then, sprinkles the blood again, like the blood of the bullock, in the most holy place. In Hebrews chapter 9, we read verses 12 through 14, but Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Why? Why does Christ have to continue to minister in this heavenly sanctuary, even after he has died? You know, so often we as Christians, we look at the death of Christ on the cross, and it is true, we... That is the central focus of our, of our salvation. But we look at that as if that is the one and only thing that there is in the scriptures. Well, why would we have so much information here in the Bible if all we needed to know about was the death of Christ? Why wouldn't we have just three chapters in the, book of, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke? Why would we have so much here in the Bible? Friends, there's more to the atonement of Christ than just simply his death on the cross. Because when Christ came... He died on the cross. He, provided a, he made a provision for your forgiveness and for mine. But friends, that's not all there is. Because if he makes the provision, but he does not apply that to your life, how does that change you or me? The provision is there, but if, he does not, if it does not change your life, if it does not apply to you, then how does that benefit you or me? Friends, that's what Jesus is doing in the heavenly sanctuary. All of this other stuff that's going on, the carrying of the blood into the sanctuary, the sprinkling of the blood, the confessing the sins on the goat is an object lesson for you and for me of what Christ continues to do for us. We find a fascinating verse. I know I'm jumping around a lot. I hope that If you don't understand everything that I'm saying, that I'm, I maybe I can whet your appetite just a little bit, and you can go home and study this out more. Maybe if you study this out more, maybe, maybe you can just glean a little glimpse, a better glimpse, of what Jesus has done for you and for me. But let's go to, to Daniel chapter eight and verse fourteen. I have no time to, to go into all of this study today, but Daniel chapter eight and verse fourteen. Unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. This antitypical day of atonement, and and those of you who understand Adventist history, you understand the the story of William Miller and the calculation of this prophecy and the understanding of the termination of this prophecy landing in October 22, 1844. The cleansing of the sanctuary, this antitypical day of atonement, which begins in 1844 and that's not the only thing that, that points to that date there are prophecies in Daniel 12 there's prophecies in Daniel 7 there's, there's prophecies in Revelation there are prophecies in other books of the Bible that all point to this same time period and the time of the end and a special work that Jesus would begin to do for you and for me during this day of atonement that begins in 1844 and extends through the end of the millennium. The ceremonies that we see here in Leviticus chapter 16 begin in 1844 with what we call the first phase of Christ's judgment, what we call the investigative judgment. That is an opening of the books, a looking into the record in heaven of the lives of those who have professed to follow Christ. In Revelation chapter 11, Verses eighteen and nineteen. The nations were angry and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings, voices, thunderings, earthquake, and great hail. Revelation twenty verses eleven and twelve. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. The books were opened. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. We find again in Daniel chapter 7, A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. We see time and time again, this time of judgment, preceding the second advent of Christ, when the books would would be opened in heaven. Friends, there's a record of your lives. Everything you've done, whether it's good or whether it's bad, there's a record of your lives kept. In the record books of heaven. Friends, what do you want to happen with that record? We have two choices. Either that record can stand as a, as a witness against us in the judgment, or it can be covered with the precious blood of Christ, and his life can be put in place of mine. Friends, it's not a matter of, am I good enough to make it through the judgment? Friends, I don't care how good you are. Have you ever committed a sin any time in your life? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you say, he who says he has no sin deceives himself. Friends, we all have sinned. And no matter how good we are, there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves, to atone for the sin that's recorded against our name in the books of heaven. And friends, you may have thought, and I have thought this myself, but that, oh, I've just got to get good enough, especially now we are living in this time of the day of atonement. If I just get good enough, maybe, maybe I can squeak by. Friends, it's hopeless without the blood of Christ. And I want to point this out as we close. How did the priest enter into the temple? What did he do before he entered the temple? He he changed his clothes and he offered the sacrifice. He never went into the temple without the blood. Friends, how can we go into the presence of God? How can we live? It's only By the merits of the blood of Christ. Because of his forgiveness. And by daily claiming the merits of his grace. And Lord, even though I'm a sinner, I claim your grace. That's the only way. You see, the playing field is level. We don't have good Christians and bad Christians. I'm not ahead of you. We're all on the same road and we're all together. Either we're covered by the blood of Christ or we're trying to do it on our own and trying to win a hopeless battle. How does this apply to me? In the Day of Atonement, there was a special time of humility, a special time of fasting. It was no more business as usual. They would keep a Sabbath from sundown to sundown. Friends, have we seen in history, in the history of this movement, as Seventh-day Adventists, a revival of godliness, a revival of understanding of God's requirements, keeping the Sabbath, caring for the temple of God, which is our bodies, living a holy life, experiencing the rest of Christ that, uh, that Paul talks about in Hebrews 4. Friends, This is the message. And if you take nothing else away from this, I want you to take this away. The blood of Christ is there for you and there for me. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul, break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. O loving Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And we thank you for the plan that you've put in place to rid this world and this universe of sin. Lord, wash us now. Purify our lives. Make us whiter than snow. Cover us with your robe of righteousness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.